This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We're getting into flu season. Step into a pharmacy and you see right away that cold and cough remedies are big business. Many of them contain phenylephrine, a decongestant. Recently, a panel of experts in the U.S. said that the popular decongestant is ineffective in helping with a stuffy nose. And this week, one of the largest pharmacy chains in the U.S. announced they're pulling some cough and cold medications with phenylephrine from their shelves. While that hasn't happened in Canada yet, this week we're wondering, when it comes to treating a cold, what does and does not work? Hi, Dr. Peter Lynn. Hey, Brian. Do any of your patients actually ask you for advice on how to treat a cold? Never. They just wander around and they buy whatever the boxes say, you know, and the boxes usually promise you the wonderful things. I'm going to cure everything, the complete cure. And so therefore, a lot of people are just buying it and trying different things on their own. Very little advice from us. Uh, and I, I think most patients are doing that uh, around uh, the country. But they ask for antibiotics, don't they? Yes. So they will come in and ask for antibiotics, but I've noticed that because of all this antibiotic, you know, stewardship, and you've heard about don't overuse antibiotics, I think people have been getting the message. We certainly still have patients that want antibiotics. So they shouldn't be asking for antibiotics for a virus, but they should be asking for your advice because we know that you are a fund of knowledge on this topic. Uh, but before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Peter Lin. I'm a family doctor in Toronto, and uh, I'm also a medical director at the Canadian Heart Research Centre, and also I, I work with you on CBC. And I'm glad about that. Uh, let's begin our conversation. Why did the Food and Drug Administration Advisory Panel call phenylephrine ineffective? Yeah, so basically in the past, we've always had it added into the mix. And so basically phenylephrine, for those that don't know what these fancy chemical names are, it's basically a vasoconstrictor. So it takes your arteries and it constricts them down. And by doing that, if your nose is all congested, all the vessels are opened. So therefore, if we constrict it down, we can take away some of that uh, congestion. And so that's why it was called a decongestant. But Unfortunately, it didn't work very well. So it came into light when we used to have pseudoephedrine. So pseudoephedrine is the same idea, constricts your blood vessels, and it worked very well. Unfortunately, that particular molecule can be easily made into methamphetamine. So methamphetamine is not good. That's a street drug. And so therefore, they said, let's get rid of all of these over-the-counter packages that people can buy and convert them into a street drug. And so that's why you have to ask the pharmacist for these things uh, in, in behind the counter. So because of that, then phenylephrine became the popular one that we can stick in, except it just doesn't work very well. Um, a lot of the medication, when you take it by mouth, uh, orally, uh, goes through your intestine, and it actually gets broken down by your intestine. So very little medication actually goes into your bloodstream. And then whatever ends up going in there might squeeze your arteries elsewhere and raise your blood pressure, 
but very little of it actually gets to your nose area. And so when they did proper studies, and when we mean proper studies, you have to have a placebo-controlled side. So in other words, they're getting a dummy thing. And then we compare whether there is any benefit. And when they did those types of studies, they noticed that there was no benefit of this phenylephrine. And so um, these studies have been around for quite a while, but the whole board unanimously said, this is an additive in there that's not working. And so their recommendation to the FDA is let's remove things. So if it's not working, why should we have it in there? And if there is a chance of raising people's blood pressure because it's squeezing arteries elsewhere, so now there's a potential for harm and there's no benefit. And so that's why their recommendation is to take it out. The And to be clear on something, the advisory panel was referring to phenylephrine in pill form, not the nasal spray for the reason you just said. If you just direct it to the nose, if you just put it in your nose uh, through a, a an over-the-counter nasal spray, then it might actually have some, uh, some decongested action. Right, because the intestine is not there to break things down, so therefore you would have some activity. So that's why they said the spray is okay. And even though we say that the spray is okay, there's limitations on how many days you should be using it because if you keep squirting this stuff up there, basically your nose gets used to it. So therefore, unless that chemical is there, then basically you are, you are not going to have uh, any relief. You'll keep getting congested. We're talking about oral phenylephrine or products, over-the-counter cough and cold remedies that contain oral phenylephrine because they are incredibly common. Among the most common uh, ingredients found in over-the-counter cough and cold remedies, Health Canada uh, says they're reviewing the U.S. panel's decision. How likely is it that they will pull uh, or recommend that that uh, over-the-counter cold and cough remedies with phenylephrine be pulled from the shelves. Yeah, I think it'll be fairly straightforward because once the companies are told by the FDA, for example, that you have to get rid of this stuff within your product, then they have to reformulate everything. So all the products have to be reformulated, all the boxes have to change, all the labeling has to change. And I think if they're doing that for the United States, it's unlikely that they're not going to do that for Canada because it'll just be the same products that they send us over here with just different packaging with French and so on and so forth on there. But then the product will be the same. So my, my guess is that if the U.S. sort of pulls it, even if Canada says nothing, the products will start disappearing with the phenylephrine because they're not going to make a separate version for us and a separate version for the United States, which is sort of the biggest market. So I think we're going to see this one disappear. And just for people to know, don't worry about it because it wasn't doing much at all. So in the past, right, we were adding all sorts of things. There was antihistamines put into these things. And so people were drowsy and all sorts of stuff. So at that time, we sort of said more the better. But I think now we're starting to say, let's make sure that what we're giving people is not making things worse. So we don't want people dopey. And so therefore, a lot of them have taken out the antihistamines, the old ones that make you sleepy. Um, and so by removing these things, we're just trying to get what we need as opposed to the extra stuff that's always been there. And I think that's what you're seeing now is the removal of things that have always been there um, and only giving you the things that are actually working. Let's pull back a little bit. How much do over-the-counter cold medicines actually help with the symptoms of a cold? Well, right now, I think the acetaminophen and perhaps ibuprofen, those are the ones that take away fever. They're the ones that take away pain. Those may be helpful. And I, I think if you see little Johnny kind of lying there and then you give them these things, they sort of perk up. And even as adults, I think we perk up. Some of the cough suppressants may be helpful. If you have that dry hacking cough, I think that those ones are a bit useful there as well to try and suppress that cough. Um, but all of the other stuff, for example, the antihistamines and, and all these other things and the phenylephrine, Basically, those ones are not helpful, and that's why they're no longer uh, part of the program or package. 
The phenylephrine ingredient, which we've been talking about, uh, is primarily in daytime over-the-counter cough and cold remedies and sinus remedies for that matter as well. Then there's, let's flip over to the night side when, uh, you know, you know, certainly uh, phenylephrine was, you know, made you more likely to be wired awake, you know, wide awake. But but let's let's go the opposite way. Now you're trying to sleep and you've got a stuffy nose. Um, what about the over-the-counter remedies for nighttime use? Yeah. So now all of a sudden you have a daytime one and a nighttime one that tries to put you to sleep. So this is where you'll end up having some of those drowsy antihistamines and those kinds of things. And so the question is, would you have done just as well? So in other words, if you just curled up, went to sleep, would it be just as well? I think the coughing is the one that is a bit of a problem. So if we could increase hydration, um, so in other words, humidifiers, those kinds of things in and around you, we can actually decrease that drying out effect. There is also one other phenomenon, which is as you lie down, if you think about your windpipe, pipe as being swollen. So as you lie down, that swollen area starts to dangle. And as it dangles, it pulls on those on those uh, linings. And those linings have nerve endings in them. And that triggers that funny cough that you get as you're trying to lie down. So in that particular situation, we tell people you might have to sit kind of half propped up, in which case you might not get that lying down or lie down very gently. So that dangling thing is not happening and then triggering all those uh, nerve endings to happen. So we can do a lot of interesting things to help you sleep. Um, and medicating you heavily may not be the, you know, the top choice. Although a lot of people seem to like that from my patient's point of view, right? Take two spoons of this stuff uh, and it'll make you go away. What about, you know, the, the, you know, one of the major ingredients of, of, uh, uh cough suppressants, uh, over-the-counter cough suppressants is dextromethorphan. What do we know about mm-hmm. that? So dextromethorphan is a fairly weak version of things. So that's what is going to be DM. So therefore, if you see the letters DM, that's going to be your cough syrup. It's not the strongest one in the world. However, it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of drowsiness. So it doesn't hit the drowsy centers. The DM one does work. I find that sometimes people find that just hot steam may be helpful. So if you just take some uh, hot water in a cup and then you blow on it and you breathe the steam, um, that may actually coat the You know how when you take a shower and all your windows are steamed up, what we want to do is create that layer of steam in your tubes. So in through your nose and into the back of your throat and down into the top part of your windpipe, we would like to have that layer of steam there. And so therefore, when you breathe across, you're breathing across that layer of steam as opposed to breathing across sort of some denuded area. So when you hack a lot, um, the lining gets torn up, kind of like tiles off your roof, you know, with a big storm going through. And if those tiles are torn up, now you're exposing those little nerve endings, and now you get the tickle and then the hack. And then the more you hack, the more of those tiles that you you'll flick off. So therefore, I find that steam seems to coat those areas. So now basically, as you're breathing uh, or talking, the air is not directly going over a raw spot. Um, one of the reasons why I mentioned dextromethorphan really leads me into something else that I want to make sure that we cover, and that is the use of over-the-counter cough and cold remedies in in young kids. What do we know mm. about that? Yeah, so the pediatri- pediatric society was pretty clear that we should be avoiding these things. So they showed you know way back that it wasn't really working, and so therefore we have to be careful. And we certainly don't want things that make them drowsy, right? Because in kids, the worry that we have is their their tubing is much smaller. So therefore, the chance of them plugging up with mucus and things like that and blocking one of those tubings is much higher. So that's why we need to keep an eye on these kids. So we don't like to heavily medicate our children 
And that's why we like steam and humidifiers and all these other simple things. And I know this sounds terrible, we, but we have those little suction things that we can suction, you know, the mucus out of the nose and those kinds of things. So we go back to some mechanical things to keep the airways clear. And under the age of six, do not use over-the-counter cough and cold remedies with kids. That, that's, Correct. That's the that's, thing, you know, you, you understand the pathophysiology really well, but I want to make sure that everybody, everybody understands that that's a very clear and crisp recommendation. And this is coming from the Um, pediatric society. So it's not coming from you or I, it's coming from a society that has looked at this and they said there is no benefit and there may be potential harm. And that's the problem is because there may be potential harm. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts. I want to now switch to another medication. It's an antihistamine that also uh, has has now picked up a, a well-earned reputation for potentially causing more harm than good, and that is an old-style antihistamine, diphenhydramine, also known as Benadryl. We're still administering it uh, for people who have anaphylactic reactions and allergic reactions in the emergency department, uh, and that's despite some serious questions about its efficacy and safety. So what does the research say about how it works for relieving allergy and cold systems? It's yes. the oldie. Uh, maybe not necessarily goody. Well, the oldie is the one that we turn to, right? Because at that time, the other ones were even worse. So clotriplon and all these other ones were even more drowsy and things like that. So Benadryl was our go-to. And because we've always gone to it and it always worked and it was quite powerful as an antihistamine for allergic reactions, that's why we went to it. However, it had all these brain side effects. It made you drowsy and so on and so forth. And so therefore, we don't want somebody that's having difficulty breathing or coughing to be drowsy. So if you want to think of it that way, um, we don't want to introduce another layer of potential complications. So let's say I'm drowsy, I can't cough up the mucus, now the mucus is collecting, and now I'm kind of choking on the mucus. So you can understand why we would like to avoid that. And that's why they've been removing all these sort of the older antihistamines uh, that made people very drowsy because of the potential harm. Having said that, way back, we didn't have a lot of choices, right? So it's kind of like, I I still remember my old cell, you remember the cell phone, the flip phone, you thought you were so cool because you had a flip phone, right? Like if I handed you a flip phone right now, you would say, what is this, right? So basically things have moved forward. And I think that's how I think we should be looking at this. You know, the fact that they're removing phenylethylene, it's because 
science has moved forward. In other words, we proved that it's not helpful. So let's move on. So we don't have to use this old technology. And so therefore, for people that have remembered all these old things that we used to use, let's move forward. So let's get the good things out of our medications, but let's leave those bad side effects uh, behind. Uh, we do now have a whole host of non-drowsy uh, antihistamines, mm -hmm. which work just as well and don't cause drowsiness. Correct. And so therefore, we, we can move to those options. And do we need an antihistamine? You know, so in the past, we said, okay, you're congested, so let's give you antihistamine, decongestant, let's just give everything. But do you need all of those things to be on board? And the answer is maybe no. So let's start off with just some hot water and breathe the steam. I uh, don't know about you, but I remember a few years ago that cold FX was heavily <sighs> advertised for colds and flus. You just sighed. So I'm sure yes. you're, I'm, that's one thing your patients probably asked you about that. What do we know about today about its effectiveness? Yeah. So now it's not so effective. So I, I think back then they were trying to do studies to prove that this was working or not working. But nowadays uh, we pretty much know that it doesn't work. So therefore let's avoid those ones. Now, during that time, people did use it and did they get better because they got better? naturally or was it the cold effects that was doing it i don't know so i think nowadays the movement now is away from cold effects again just like we're moving against all these decongestants going up into your nose orally like taking pill version you reminded me of something uh peter um you know on what you just said that if patients uh if i was pretty sure they had a cold and they clamored for an antibiotic uh, sometimes i would answer them that if if I give you an antibiotic, you'll get better in seven days. And if I don't give you an antibiotic, <laughs> you'll get better in a week. Yeah, exactly, You knew what exactly. I was going to say, and, and, didn't you? Yes, yes. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, you're absolutely right. And, and so that's the thing is that how do I know that it was actually improving, not improving, that kind of thing. And the problem is, as a, as a person, okay, I feel terrible. So I will take whatever... I, I can get my hands on to feel better, especially if it's promising me that it's going to completely cure you or, or fix the whole complete cold or whatever. And so therefore, I'm of course going to grab everything. And the fact that I got better, then I'm going to assume that that thing helped me get better because I don't know what it would have been like without taking it. And that's the problem. And that's why they have to do these trials to sort of show is there a benefit or no benefit. I mean, in the rest of medicine, we have to do that, right? So if you have a new drug for whatever disease, you have to compare it to nothing, placebo, and then you have to show that it's of benefit. So that's why we, we want to make sure that these studies are done. And, and in those days, we didn't do a whole lot of them. We just sort of said we think it helped people. And then that's when people started using it on their own. Well, we've done uh, a bit of a number on a lot of the uh, oral over-the-counter cough and cold remedies. Uh, so let's turn to an ointment. What about Vicks VapoRub and things like that? I still remember that, you know, on your chest. And there was something magical about this thing going on there. I think if you read the data, um, the Vicks VapoRub, it's the menthol. Um, and there is some study that says the menthol may affect um, you know, viruses, for example. So it's like a chemical way of disrupting the virus. So just like we use alcohol, you know, to kill off viruses, it can disrupt the virus. So there is some fact to the fact that the menthol may be doing something. Okay, let's turn to some other remedies that are non-prescription, um, but uh, uh, are certainly recommended by some. 
What about, uh, say, vitamin C or zinc? Yeah, vitamin C. Um, I mean, the good news about that, if you took more vitamin C, um, your body could use the vitamin C. We're all a little bit low. And number two is that even if you took too much, you'll just end up you know, sending it out into the bathroom and into the pee, right? So therefore, there's no issue with it. You're not going to get toxic. Um, some people believe in zinc. Um, so we're typically low in zinc. So therefore, zinc lozenges and zinc pills, people have used that as well. But many of these things, for sure, do not have fantastic studies that says people that took this much vitamin C did better than uh, people that did not take this much vitamin C. Similarly, I always tell people, you know, chicken soup, you always hear about chicken soup. And I don't have a study that says, although there were some studies that they tried to do with chicken soup as well to show benefit. And I think the benefit of, let's say, something like chicken soup is to rehydrate you. So give you lots of fluids. And the second thing is that the oil on that broth coats the back of your throat. So by coating the back of your throat, that would be helpful um, in terms of giving you that layer of protection on that sort of raw part of your throat. And of course, gargling with salt water was something that, you know, we always recommended. And the salt water did two things. One is if there were bacteria, let's say you have strep throat or something like that, the salt water would leach out the water from the bacteria. So therefore, there was some sort of insult to the bacteria. But more importantly, it was taking swelling away from the back of your throat. So it was trying to extract the water that had built up because of the of the swelling from the infection. And that gave you some relief. The only thing, if you're going to do the saltwater gargle, it's one glass of warm water with you know one or two teaspoons of salt in it. If you're going to do that, then make sure you gargle and wash off the salt afterwards because you don't want to leave salt on the back of your throat because that will end up drying it out too much. So these simple things may actually work. And I, I look at it this way, Brian, you know, gargling with salt water, I can't do a whole lot of harm, right? I'm not asking you to take some weird pill or things like that. And so therefore, if there's not a whole lot of harm and maybe it might take down some swelling and maybe it might get rid of some bacteria, I, I don't mind doing that. And I don't need a huge study to show me that that's useful. So if there isn't a lot of harm, Arm and it's easy to do, why not? So for example, honey and lemon, you know, that's okay, right? Because the harm side is not that much. If you have diabetes, your sugar might go up a little bit. Um, but other than that, you know, hot water, honey, lemon, I, I tell my patients, that's fine. If you want to try that, that's always good. You mentioned uh, humidified air or, or using vaporizers. Um, what are your thoughts on warm humidified air versus cold? Yeah. So it just depends on what you're going to put in the, the water. So if you put in purified water or distilled water, you can do the cold one. So the cold one just basically shakes the molecules and sends it into the air. Whereas the warm one is actually kind of boiling it. So only uh, water vapor gets into the air. So any minerals and stuff like that stay within the the unit itself. And that's why you get scales and stuff like that and those hot humidifiers. On the ones where they just use the ultrasonic uh, way of shaking the water and putting it into the air, you may shake some of those minerals and it'll come out. And that's why when people were using that, they said there's this sort of fine white powder that comes all over my furniture. Now that's a problem because if you breathe in that fine white powder as well, uh, with the humidified air, that becomes a problem. So if you're going to use those ultrasonic ones, then you'd use um, distilled water or filtered water in there so that you don't have a lot of those particles coming out. Last question I want to ask you, Peter, um, you know, some of us would actually like to prevent getting colds in the first <laughs> yes. place. So what do you recommend uh, for people to stay 
uh, healthy during this cold season. Yeah. And we're going to have, so right now it's sort of the simple colds, right? Enterovirus, rhinoviruses, those are the ones that are moving around. COVID, of course, is in the background there floating around. Our positivity rate is around 20%. Um, and then RSV is going to come join the, the party and flu is going to join the party soon as well. So we're going to have a lot of viruses out there. And remember, all of them need you to suck it into your body. They, they cannot enter your body unless you breathe it in. So that's why the masking around people might be useful. I, I know that nobody likes masks, but just around crowded places and stuff like that. And remember, if you are sick, please don't go to somebody else because the virus is depending on you to reach the next person and breathe on them and let them suck it in. Um, and perhaps, um, you know, for the older folks, if you're going to get a little hug from little Johnny, just hold your breath when little Johnny's coming in. So if you're not sucking in, you're not going to pick up the virus because I've heard a lot of old people going, but I miss my hugs, you know, for my grandkids. I go, go hug them. Just don't breathe while you're hugging them. Uh, and that way you won't suck in their virus. Dr. Peter Lin, thank you so much for uh, getting us up to speed on what works and what doesn't work. Uh, as we enter this cold and flu season. Thank you, Brian. And thanks for all the good work that you're doing. Right back at you. That's Dr. Peter Lin, a family doctor in Toronto and CBC's house doctor. Here's your dose of smart advice. Last month, an advisory committee told the U.S. Food and Drug Administration that the popular decongestant, phenylephrine, is no better than a placebo. That's based on recent, well-conducted studies. Phenylephrine is the leading decongestant found in popular cold and sinus remedies like Sudafed and Dayquil and is used by millions of people. The decision concerns phenylephrine in pill form only. It doesn't apply to nasal sprays, which are still thought to be somewhat effective. Oral products containing the decongestant are still available in Canada. In general, over-the-counter cold and cough remedies should not be given to children less than six years of age as they may cause serious and even life-threatening side effects. The antihistamine diphenhydramine, or Benadryl, found in some cold remedies has been around for decades. A growing number of doctors and the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology say the antihistamine is less effective and less safe than newer alternatives. There's conflicting evidence for a variety of common cold remedies. Vitamin C won't help prevent colds in most people, but may shorten the duration of symptoms. Studies are mixed on the effectiveness of echinacea. Studies on zinc have also had mixed results. Zinc has potentially harmful side effects like throat and stomach irritation and temporary loss of smell. Acetaminophen and ibuprofen can relieve headaches and muscle aches associated with colds, but these should be used sparingly. Fluids, especially warm liquids and honey, can help provide comfort. Both vaporizers and humidifiers may help ease throat irritation and congestion. The best ways to prevent colds and flus are the same ones recommended to reduce the risk of getting COVID. Vaccines that prevent flu, COVID, and RSV, wearing an N95 or KN95 mask, and wider use of air filtration systems that filter out virus particles. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.